Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Welcome to the 48th edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Dana Jacobs. You'll actually hear me call her Dana Banana. That's right, Dana Banana. Dana and I belong to a... Um, what we call a study group or a mastermind group, which is basically a group of individuals that get together and do um, business strategy planning with each other. We are both members of XY Planning Network, which is how we met. And so we are forever grateful for that organization for putting us in a group together. We had never known each other before joining that organization. So you just never know how you're going to meet people that are so influential in your life. Deanna mentions that she's um, drinking an essential old vine um, vintage today during our recording. And I wanted to mention to you folks that she also talks about Rochester, New York. Um, She's from uh, New Jersey, but her husband is from that area. And she talks about the journey of coming up to New York and and buying cases of wine when she would come for uh, the holidays. If you're not from New York, we encourage you to hop in the car, hop on a plane and actually come and enjoy the the beautiful area, especially in the summer. As you know, I I vacate come winter time. But I want to particular, particularly point out uh, Fox Run Winery today. Um, that is quite a journey. It's amazing when you go up to their uh, winery, the tour that you can go on, the view that you can see from their facility. Um, it's an amazing winery in and of itself. Anyways, they actually ship to Europe, so they're truly an international, uh, an international wine distributor as well and um, I think you you will find that you really enjoy it. One of the favorite uh, wines that I have from that particular vineyard is a blend uh, red. Um, for those of you that have similar tastes to me, you will find their Cab Franc Lemberger blend just amazing. So hop on a plane, get in the car, drive up the road. They're right off from uh, 14 uh, overlooking Seneca Lake. I don't think you'll find it is a waste of your time at all. And I hope you all find a wonderful event supported by your dollars and cents. Enjoy the podcast with Dana Jacobs. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now, here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is Dana 
like Banana Jacobs. <laughs> she is a CFP and has her own company with her brother, Legacy Care. Uh, very interesting dynamics between those two. It's enjoyable to spend time with them and actually watch them interact. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation that Dana and I are going to have today on her journey to becoming a financial planner. And welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you so, so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> I had to throw in the Dana like banana because when we first met each other as part of a study group for XYPN, um, I couldn't get your name right to save my life. And you were the one that said Dana like banana. <laughs> yeah. I, my maiden name was Cologne, which is, you know, my, obviously my brother's last name. And mm-hmm. so my whole childhood, you know, and, and especially at school in classroom settings over the intercoms, it was always Dana Colin or Donna like Colin. And, and so my name was always mispronounced. And so from such a young age, I would always tell people Dana banana. Say it's Dana like banana. Um, I would self-reference myself, which I I tend not to do unless it's an initial conversation. I'll, I'll say my own name a couple of times, try to incorporate it just because I know it's a tricky name and I don't want people to have that awkward moment where they're like, oh no, what is this girl's name that I've been talking to for a half hour? Um, so I'll tell I you, it, it, it when you say it that way though. <laughs> it does. It helps. It helps. And then and my husband in college and I sort of joke that um, his last name is Jacobs and I he was actually helped move me in on the first day and we've been together ever since. But the joke was sort of that I found a guy with a simple last name and I just said, sign me up. <laughs> um, so I became Dana Jacobs. So at least my last name is easier to pronounce these days. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he he won the bid because his last name was easy to pronounce. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. No, he's actually an amazing guy. And so um, I'm very happy to have met him that day and now be married <laughs> almost 10 years. Can't wait to hear that story. 10 years. <laughs> so, um, as you know, I love, I love to open the show with the, with a question about wine. And, uh, prior to us actually starting to record, I said, do you have a glass of wine in your hand? It is a Friday that we're recording on. So you ran downstairs, you said, and you grabbed a glass of, was it Bogle? Is that what you yeah, told me? It's their essential red 2015, uh, old vine vintage. So it's one of the ones that we happen to have in the house is more of our house wines. Um, mm. I didn't be too fancy by myself at two o'clock on a Friday. Um, <laughs> but I was at Wegmans earlier this morning picking up plentiful bottles for the holidays. With our <laughs> oh, you guys are so lucky because in New Jersey, you can actually buy uh, wine in Wegmans. In New York, we cannot do that. In Florida, we can. But in New York, unfortunately, we're still not able to do that. So you can do your one and done. Yeah. My brother, I think, is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, my brother who works for Wegmans is actually, I think, secretly hoping that it happens in New York as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I miss, though, my husband's from Rochester, outside of Rochester, and we've always went to the Wegmans up there. And Mm -hmm. the location that that we go to up in Pittsburgh, they have a separate um, wine or separate uh, liquor store, alcohol. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what it's technically qualified as. Century Wine. I know exactly what it's called. So it's Century, (laughs) Century. And we always went to Century. day after Thanksgiving or that whole weekend, they always had huge case sales and we would walk out of there, of course, with cases. We would stock ourselves up for the year. Um, and I was even asking today as I was checking out, any chance you can start doing any of those case sales if you do up at Century in the Rochester area? They're like, no, we can't. Um, so I miss that. I miss that. Yep. You need to go back up to New York. That Pittsburgh yeah. store, not to get too sidetracked, but that is like, a first of all, the store itself, the Wegmans Pittsburgh store is like this like 
unbelievable store and then yeah. the, the, that's on like one end of the plaza and then across the street or across the plaza is where the the wine um warehouse i call it is that that location is perfect because all of the um online exams that we take as financial advisors is right across the street <laughs> so, <laughs> so um you know it's just so convenient to actually celebrate by spending a little time in the century location yeah, <laughs> yeah well, i did not know oh you didn't know, I, I didn't know your husband no i didn't no yeah. where in rochester what location he was uh well raised in mendon um okay. but we always went to the pittsburgh you know like in the mm-hmm. century and his my and my in-laws you know fortunately they relocated so they're closer to us they're in pennsylvania unfortunately you know, we would have to drive six hours for the Thanksgiving century um, pay sales. So it uh, makes it a little bit more difficult of an outing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you have a, is, is, do you have a particular wine that is your favorite? Uh, I don't. I, I really do like pretty much most of any wines um, starting from when I was in college and I studied abroad in Italy for a semester and that's sort of oh. when I fell in love. So, um, oh. I, at the time, you know, I didn't have much of a palate for reds. Now I do prefer most reds. Um, so, and we typically like like Malbecs and Cap Sauvignons in mm-hmm. our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, um, you said that you spent a semester in Italy. In um, oh, <laughs> oh, lucky it you. It was amazing. <laughs> so... I can't wait to dig into some of this stuff. So, you know, my line is, uh, I think life is like a vineyard. There's the beginning, there's the development side, there's the aging process. Um, tell us a little bit about um, your beginning and, and maybe your path to becoming a mom and a financial advisor, um, or really, I like to use the word planner anymore. I don't know why. I think it's because there's so much confusion around the word financial advisor. And when people hear planner, they, I feel like they have a different connotation to that term. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, just share, share a little bit about your, your beginning and middle. The beginning and middle. Um, Well, the beginning is that I was always raised in New Jersey. Um, I was born in Staten Island. We moved to New Jersey when I was two and a half, just before my brother was born. And um, we, you know, always were very, very tight knit family, lots of cousins. And um, I think family focus is very important in my sort of story because then fast forward a lot of years and my brother and I did go into business together. Um, but in my early life, you know, I was always sort of that type A child. I um, wanted to do well in most things and, you know, always did well in school. I was a dancer in my first life as well. I was, um, dancing pretty competitively, you know, something like 40 hours a week and everything under the sun, you know, tap, jazz, lyrical, ballet, hip hop, modern. I was my sugar plum fairy for our nutcracker my senior year. I did not know that. I was going to um, consider pursuing becoming a dancer, but my type A-ism and type A personality did limit my ability in my mind to really envision what my future looks like because I think I've always been a planner in one way, shape, or form. And so at that time, I started exploring other avenues of what I might be in my future since I wasn't going to pursue dance. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to go to a liberal arts 
college, get that kind of education. And I did continue to dance more as um, for myself and my body than for career uh, career ambitions, I should say. But um, during that, I did start taking a lot of business classes and economics classes through uh, through my institution. I went to Vassar College and uh, found an interest there. And a little more background as well is that our father always was working um, in finance in different in different matters, ultimately in securities lending. And so we had a little bit of that Wall Street background just from our upbringing. Okay. And that seemed to be a good fit and made sense for us. So I started taking more and more economics courses. I also wanted to study abroad in Italy, like I mentioned before. So I started taking Italian courses. I did not intend to double major in Italian, but when I came back from Italy, I only needed two more classes. So I just took one a semester my senior year completed that um, requirement. I just was enjoying the process there. Um, and between that and my economic degree, I went ahead and started applying for jobs and ultimately landed at Lehman Brothers for my first position after college. So I did not realize that you minored in um, Italian, by the way. Yeah. I had to, I'm learning all sorts of new stuff about you. And I also didn't know that your dad had that background. Um, mm-hmm. But landing in Lehman Brothers. <laughs> now... What what year would that have been? 2007. Oh. So bankruptcy was not my fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, and I always say this is a, I know it was a devastating thing for the economy, the world at large, and a number of folks that worked at Lehman Brothers as well, as I saw it firsthand. But bankruptcy for me in my career was actually a really fascinating and exciting um, experience because I was so new. That I got to experience so much more than I would have otherwise in my traditional position. Um, so it took a lot of more, you know, simplified reconciliation reporting um, of a day-to-day uh, operational role mm-hmm. into a really much more advanced role because we were having unprecedented trading volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, post-bankruptcy, we had to collaborate with uh, all the product teams to revamp all the product, product offerings on the back end. Uh, we were collaborating with the sales teams as well to educate them then on what was going on with the firm and mm-hmm. how to position them, you know, these conversations with their clients, but all the new products. So I really got to collaborate with a much more expansive um, network of folks than I would have if I, you know, things were more status quo. Mm-hmm. And so I love that experience. And then I ultimately landed in the wealth investment management division as part of all those conversations. Um, so, so yeah, that's <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you, you've obviously got a very positive spin on the situation because you're saying, uh, you know, bankruptcy exposed you to a lot. And I'm sure, I, I mean, I remember how stressful a period of time it was. I, um, I remember how my clients felt. I remember how I personally felt um, during that 2007, eight, and early 2009, you know, time frame. I can't imagine being on the inside of the organization going through that. It was very scary. We knew that there were layoffs coming. I think it was the three quarters um, leading up to bankruptcy. We knew sort of the Friday before we were going to announce our earnings. Um, that there would be layoffs. And so you just walk into the building and you felt, you know, you felt the tension and um, almost every desk lost at least a party, almost every round. It was, it was pretty significant. And then, um, and then, you know, going into those early weeks of September, knowing that we were trying to be bought, a potential acquisition fell through. Um, And we were also working around the clock. We were working late tonight, working weekends. Um, And it's so funny because some desks, 
people weren't even allowed to touch their computers um, and other desks it was all hands on desk, de- de- all hands on desk, depending on um, what you were involved with and what, what um, sort of business groups you were supporting and uh, liaisoning with. So wow. it was a really interesting, interesting dynamic. And I do remember um, the MD running our floor coming out of his office just past, just after Barclays, um, did finalize uh, the acquisition uh-huh. of parts of Lehman Brothers. It wasn't even all of us. And he like stood on a desk in the middle of the floor and uh, made the announcement. And it was a, it was a really um, amazing moment. Um, you know, obviously a lot of mixed emotions. I'm not saying it was amazing in, in a good, necessarily mm-hmm. good way for everyone, but just um, it's, I was out of a movie. You know, it really was. It was fascinating to be a part of yeah. that experience. So when did you, when did you and Rob decide to start a business together? So we don't really know. It wasn't like a, I, I don't think I can. And I, I I really should ask him if he can pinpoint one exact moment. We had always been super, super close, very supportive of one another. And, and we always balanced each other really well. Our mom used to call us cookies and cream. Um, (laughs) cause I always looked like sort of our Puerto Rican side of the family. And my brother popped out on St. Patty's day. He's a St. Patty's day baby. And he had a lighter complexion, blonde hair, bright blue eyes. Um, and so we just, in a lot of ways are polar opposites, including in appearance, um, but balanced each other really well. So she called us cookies and cream. Um, and uh, so we always knew we worked well together and we always thought maybe someday we would somehow run a business, but mm-hmm. it never was a formal idea. Um, and then through our respective jobs, Rob was also working in investment management with more retail clients. And we both were sort of having in co- conflicts about the experiences we were having. Um, not saying that, you know, all traditional investment management roles are bad. Um, but just, we were experiencing a lot of sort of similar things, um, that we wanted to just go about differently. We wanted to be able to really offer more comprehensive advice to our clients, not just worry about investment management, investment mm-hmm. placement, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of our direction was, um, pointing in from our respective firms. And, mm-hmm. um, Rob had a really high tax competency. He did go on to get his enrolled agent designation. And so he was seeing a lot of recommendations happening that didn't have any tax awareness. And so we just sort of said, there's a gap here. Um, and we want to be able to offer comprehensive financial planning services and not just to the ultra high net worth, who were the traditional parties that were getting access to those kinds of services. Um, and so we started the business. It'll be six years this spring. Um, so at the time, no one else was doing what we were doing. We were very, very young. Um, I think I was 27 and he was 24. And yeah, we were... We, we thought we were making up a business model at the time, but we just sort of saw what we, what we wanted to achieve and tried to back into how to build a business around it. And it definitely took a few different forms earlier on. Um, but we only found XY planning. I guess Rob had heard about Alan and what they were doing pretty early on, but Rob comes up with a lot of ideas. If you listen to the XY planning um, podcast where we're both on that one together, um, you'll, hear us reference that as well. So Rob is our idea guy. I'm the execution person. And so we can't execute on every one of his ideas. And so I sort of put it in a, in a category. And then if it circles back a couple times um, and sort of has more weight and bearing, then I'll start researching. Um, and so once, once XY circled back a couple times, I do remember we were actually with our whole family. I had my son at the time with us. I think he was probably about a year old. We were on the beach and Rob took a call with Alan. 
And um, the two of them were discussing X, Y, and, and shortly thereafter, we did join. And that was right before the first uh, conference. So I think you guys are like the first official um, multi-member firm, right? We are. And, and we were uh, <laughs> not to um, go too on to XY, too far into XY world here, but Maddie, um, who sort of was huge on the execution side for XY early on, mm-hmm. she dubbed us um, the first, I think, founding corporate partners or corporate <laughs> members. We were the first um, firm to join with more than one practitioner <laughs> so, or more than one advisor. Um, so yeah, um, it was, and and it was funny because here we are, we thought we made up this business model around where we saw a need and where we wanted to work with people. And then we found XY, we're like, Hey, some other people have a similar idea. And of course there are things we were doing differently, but I've kept some of those things because, and we do differentiate quite extensively because we are multi-firm or multi-advisor firm or siblings on top of it. Um, so we will operate in our own way. Um, and as, as everyone should in a way that most aligns with who they are, but, um, there's a lot of overlap and we had a lot of similar ideas. And so we, we thought, you know, it just made a lot of sense (laughs) to go ahead and and start borrowing a little bit more from some of those ideas and and vice versa. So yeah, it's a little bit of how we came to be. Do you think that, um, do you think that part of that too is the fact that I call it uh, oldest child syndrome because it's, and I'm sure there's probably been millions of studies that have been done, but, and this is just sort of my unofficial observation being the, maybe, maybe, a, maybe it's a prejudiced unofficial observation being the oldest um, myself. Uh, it, that type A personality tends to be pretty dominant in first child from the people that yeah. I hang with. <laughs> Yeah. And then also too, cause you just have brothers and I just have a brother, you know, so I think also a little bit of a male female component there. Um, but I have two sons now, four and a half and one and a half. And my firstborn is definitely more type A and I sort of like chuckle or I'll tell my parents a story about him. I'll be like, I wonder where he gets it from, you know, and they just like laugh at me because we all know. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just think, and I also, I don't know, this is might be crazy mommy speak, but I also think in utero as a first time mom, a lot of times, you know, I was researching, all, you know, what to expect about all the different stages and having a baby and I was very focused on my pregnancy and took it very seriously. Um, uh, but, and not to say I didn't care by the second one at all, but you're so caught up in everything else that's going on in life mm-hmm. that and you also have experienced it once so you have a level of confidence um that i didn't have i think that level of of you know sort of um i don't know what to call it but research and anticipation and preparedness around you know that baby and i sort of feel like what what you're feeling as a mom the, those hormones do leak into the baby in utero mm-hmm. and conversely i'm sitting there playing with my then you know 3 year old every day and there's some kind of enjoyment and happiness that you get when you're interacting with a little one because you're living life a little bit through their eyes Mm -hmm. and the silliest little things become the funnest game and so I think some of those extra sort of happy fun hormones leak into this to to maybe (laughs) the latter pregnancies and so I don't know there's no science to any of this this is totally my personal belief um that a little bit of the mommy hormones of what you're experiencing when they're in utero they experience and so I think that's why my first one was a little more type a because I know how focused I was on my pregnancy at the time my second time around I was totally just enjoying my firstborn and and the um excitement of having the second so the personalities do reflect a little bit more 
you know, my, my first son needs to know what the plan is for the day, or he helps wants to help make the plan for the day. And, um, he already knows he wants to be a financial planner and work with mommy and uncle Rob. And, um, yeah, it's funny. I joke cause at school, what were they doing? But they were, you know, doing some kind of exercise and what do you want to be when you grow up? And, um, and they had to write it out like what they want to be. And so I get a picture of his actually when we were at the conference together, Amy, so I think I might've sent it to you <laughs> and, um, his said that he wants to be a financial yeah. planner. Yeah. So I subsequently talk to him and I say, did anyone else in your class want to be a, you know, a certified financial planner? And he goes, mommy, they don't even know what that is. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. I said, a lot of grownups don't know what a financial planner is, <laughs> you know? Um, I love it. So very focused on being a financial planner and making sure he knows how to count money so that he can help other people count their money. And, um, you know, another little joke is when we were, he's going to kill me someday if he ever listens to this. Um, <laughs> but we were going on vacation and I called my husband and said, oh, how much money should I take out? Because we're traveling internationally. He tells me a number. It's, you know, a few hundred dollars. And then he's overhearing this conversation because it's Bluetooth in the car. Mm-hmm. And I hang up the phone and I look back at him and he's in tears. I'm like, you know, Ryder, what's wrong? He goes, mommy, don't take out your money for our vacation. He goes, you should, you have to save it for your retirement. (laughs) And so I'm like, it's okay, bud. I also have a retirement account with special money for retirement. So don't worry, (laughs) you know, but like what four year old says that. (laughs) Gosh, I love it. I love that little boy. You did share the picture. I think you texted it or showed it or something. Cause I remember. Yeah. Um, so that is hysterical. And just one other note there. I did sit for my CFP exam with him seven months in utero. So, mm-hmm. so, so maybe, maybe he will be a CFP. <laughs> what is type A, the poor kid. <laughs> I remember, um, I can't believe your youngest is a year and a half. Um, because I remember when you told all of us in the study group that you were pregnant yeah. and it doesn't seem like it could have been that long ago. I mean, let alone have the baby, but the the pregnancy itself and, you know, on our meetings, just so everybody can kind of put it in context, we really only see from the neck up most of the time. And so when Dana told us that she was pregnant, we were all like, what? (laughs) And then it seemed like your pregnancy went really quickly. Like it just seemed like those, you know, that period of time went really quickly. And then you were on maternity leave for a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I find, um, challenging in our profession is, uh, and I've had a lot of people, you know, bring it up. I, I am not familiar with it. Obviously I don't have any children, but they've, they've asked the question, like, do you think this is a profession that's friendly to, um, having children? And I'll always say, well, there's three or four women that are part of the XYPN network that I think are shining examples of not only can this be done, but that it is a great career that allows it, you know, because clients love it when, when planners have kids, (laughs) they they love it. (laughs) I should have actually mentioned too, a part of also my leaving more traditional um, financial services role was also because I was looking forward to being a mom and an active mom at that. And, um, you know, not to sort of go down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. of, you know, women in the workplace dynamics, but I was just seeing what the women before me had gone through and, um, and the struggles. And I just, I knew, I knew how to work hard. I just also knew that, especially with, you know, the benefit of technology, which I know prior generations did not have. I just saw a way that I could be working, um, 
you know, you know, for my business mm-hmm. in a way that aligned with my family goals and, and that there was sort of, there's a little bit of a gap in financial services and being able to accomplish that. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, some firms are better than others. And I know it's a movement and there's active conversation about it, but there's still a ways to go. So, um, part of that also working for myself idea was because I wanted to, you know, be able to have a family and, and most of my clients, not most, I have clients sort of all over the place, but we do have a strong contingency of young families mm-hmm. and they're sitting there. And I said, Oh, did you find, you know, they call me and they're seven months pregnant. I said, Oh, did you find a daycare? No, we didn't. Okay. You need to get on a wait list. Or you need to start looking into it. Or mm-hmm. um, what about pediatrician? And they ask, you know, and they send me personal emails. Like, what are you doing? personally for Christmas gifts for your children. Um, and, and I do practice a lot of what I preach. I really try to uphold and live by that, but, um, it's nice to be able to speak to it from a personal Mm -hmm. perspective as well as a practical perspective or, um, and, and I just know that they appreciate that. I get a lot of the dynamics and the stress around Mm -hmm. it. And so it's nice to be able to walk in a lot of the same, I think a lot of us, we, we, a lot of our core groups uh, of clients are, have very similar experiences or have a likeness to us in some way. And that's Mm -hmm. how we identify and why we are better fits for one another. And so for me, um, knowing how many, how much planning goes into buying that house and having those children and getting the larger vehicle and planning around daycare and planning for college, because I'm living it. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. for me to have that experience alongside my clients. So it's fun to be able to share in our, um, children sort of growing up alongside one another. Mm -hmm. I had Hannah Moore on the podcast not too long ago, and she was just coming off maternity leave when I had her on as a guest. And, you know, I said to her, um, you know, did it make, because again, I just, I want other women out there and men actually to know that this is a great profession for flexible family um, dynamics. You know, um, you can work your day, uh, how you need to work your day. And yes, I'm sure, I, I don't know, but I'm guessing that there's days where you don't know which hat you're wearing at any given moment. But um, I can't imagine having a four-year-old and a year and a half um, running around the house. But I, you know, I guess my point is that I wanted people to understand that this is a, this is a career that's actually really wonderful for that environment. So I appreciate you sharing that tidbit because I think it's super important that people understand that, you know, you, you can be self-employed in this environment per se, and you can still get this job done and, and you can still have a family. It's great for it. It's a super flexible job for it. It really, really is. And we meet with a lot of clients, you know, at seven thirty, eight o'clock virtually after all the kids are in bed. So you have that kind of flexibility and, um, and our businesses were growing, uh, so by the time I had the second kid, I was able to leverage my power planner a lot more for my maternity leave. But um, there's a lot of flexibility that you can achieve and attain. Um, sometimes you're right. I'm wearing both hats at once. You've seen me wear both hats yeah, at once. Yeah, it's fun. Um, <laughs> fun for all. It's about you, but... <laughs> and I'm but I'm sure others judge me, but that's fine. And this is sort of... I'm very transparent about this is the life I'm leading right now. Um, and... Uh, it really is a great opportunity. And like I said, I know we have technology in our corner that prior generations did not have, but there's so many good tools out there and and a great network and resource of people that are um, pursuing this career path uh, that can give you sort of that advice and, and wisdom to figure out the different growing pains along the way. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I love about what you're saying too is you said you have a lot of meetings at seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock at night, which is way beyond my 
comprehension zone. Like I am not the right planner for somebody that needs those kinds of meetings. Um, you know, my brain shuts down about six thirty, seven o'clock at night. I mean, I just, and that's pushing it. You know, I can't, I personally can't go beyond that. So for a young family, you're a great fit for that. And I know, um, Kate is the same way, you know, she's, she's got a young family and often is able to do, um, like early morning meetings or, you know, afternoon meetings or when the kids are in school, it's just the flexibility is really great during that time of the day. But, you know, for people like me, I I really struggle with that kind of thing. So it's amazing. What you're doing is amazing because you, like you said, you, you, you are living that life and you completely understand what's going on in theirs. (laughs) And the fact that people can do that. I mean, that they have you as a resource to do that with. It's great. Yeah. I mean, if you try me between four and seven, I'm getting the kids from school and doing, you know, dinner and mm-hmm. bath time and bedtime routines. And, and, you know, I'm going to be out of pocket, right. but come 730, I'm usually logged back in and able to get back to those mm-hmm. emails from later in the day, have my virtual meetings, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it actually works out really well for, for me and my family to be able to achieve that kind of balance so that I can get my kids from school every day and have the evenings with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what they'll remember, right? I mean, that's the, and that's the important thing. Um, you had mentioned that your son, I, I have to go back for a second, when your son was sitting in the car when you went on vacation and he was telling you to save your money for retirement. Um, do, but you also mentioned that your dad was sort of involved in the, um, you know, the financial services world as well. Did, were you included in a lot of conversations when you were a kid? A lot of money conversations? Yeah. Even though he was in finance, I don't think they had open conversations about money um, in our presence. I think it was still sort of considered a little taboo, um, you know, just basic kind of things of like, you know, no, you know, you guys just get to pick one thing. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, dad's career definitely hit a different trajectory um, when I was about in eighth grade. So we definitely noticed a shift, but there weren't a lot of open conversations about money that I know I'm having with our children. Mm-hmm. Um but Rob says all the time, you know, there are studies out there that people would rather talk about their sex lives and their personal finances. Absolutely. There are <laughs> studies out there. And that is so true. <laughs> yeah. And so we see that. And so I think it was just sort of considered. And I was raised in a very traditional um, household where there was a traditional, uh, you know, gender gender roles in the family. And I sort of joke that even our parents, even though our parents were very young, I sort of feel like I was being raised by their parents' generation because they still upheld a lot of the same roles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they were very strict on about, you know, the things that mattered mm-hmm. most. So it was not a conversation, believe it or not, but I do have those open conversations with my son. And then when he's crying about us going on vacation, <laughs> I'm realizing maybe I'm having too many conversations with my son about money. Um, but, you know, he quickly, I explained it to him, he then understood you know he always just needs to understand everything that's going on that's again his personality (laughs) well as i always say you know the just like wine is you know formed by what's in the air and what's in the ground and what you know it's influenced by its surroundings i think we as people are very much influenced by our surroundings and when you have a dad so a grandpa that was in finance a mom who's in finance an uncle who's in finance how can you not (laughs) be influenced by that that finance conversation especially the first child because there just isn't that that um diversity of conversation i mean there i think another thing about first child uh, syndrome i guess you want to call it is the fact that we're we're talked to as adults almost from the get-go right which it's a conversation um you know where the second child it's more like they've got big brother big sister kind of um 
I don't want to say speaking for them, but definitely um, a little bit more of the fun, I think. And, and I don't mean that it's not fun. I just mean that I, I see that a lot um, yeah. in the dynamics. Well, yeah. And we sort of see that too. We're noticing like our firstborn, he turned to us for everything. We were his be all end all. Um, but my second born, he just looks at the family as a whole. It's more of like a there's only two kids and there's not going to be any more, but, um, you know, it's more of a, a sort of tribal or group oriented association of family as opposed to just being more parent driven because he always has his big brother that he looks up to. And so, um, yeah, I can already see like there are different personalities and dynamics. And of course, as parents, you think you do the same thing for both children, but you know that it's not always possible. And so it'll be interesting to see how they continue to evolve. Um, and I just, and, you know, I don't want to pressure my son to be a financial planner. He could be whatever he sure. wants to be, but I think because he just loved the idea of going to work with mommy every day, um, and uncle Rob, who's so fun that, you know, it just sounded like a great idea. So we'll, we'll see what his future holds for him. I'll, I'll update you in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or, or I guess maybe in, uh, 12, when he's starting to make or 11, when he's starting to make decisions about where he might want to go to college and for what, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one of the other things that I love whenever I have a, a co-financial planner on the podcast, I love to ask this question because I think there's a misconception that we often don't make mistakes around money and it is a misconception. And, and, and I really like to drive that point home because I think people are afraid often to work with financial planners because they, they feel like, um, you know, there might be some judgment involved. And of course that's, that's not, we don't do that. You know, good financial planners don't judge at all. Um, so I like to ask the question if there is a particular financial, um, decision that you've made that you, I won't say it's, I don't like to use the word bad or, you know, but, but it ended up being something that you could look back on and say, you know what, I'm going to share this story because other people might learn from it. Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest one that I tell clients every day, day in and day out is get your estate plan in place. Mm. And it took us a really, really long time. Um, there was other family dyna- dynamics going on at the time that did make the decision especially hard for us because we knew that we had young children that had to be a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like such a hypocrite because <laughs> I know how important it is. And I talk it through with everyone so frequently. So we were, we were um, a little slow to implement estate planning. Um, we got the basic life insurance in place. The disability took a little bit longer. So, you know, we, we definitely, um, I was very aware and felt a lot of personal guilt about it. And, and I know how that feels because then clients come to us when they tell us, well, this happened and that happened and they feel like it's a confessional. And I see that sometimes where they're apologizing for their mistakes or actions or behaviors or circumstances in their lives. And I'm just so quick to say judgment-free zone mm-hmm. and we all are doing the best we can with the resources we have available to us and the life circumstances that are presented. Mm-hmm. So Please don't apologize. Yeah. You know, we're here now because we want to develop a plan for moving forward to give you that empowerment and education mm-hmm. and just the resources mm-hmm. to give you, you know, to position you better for the future. But, um, you know, we all have our stories and money is personal. Mm-hmm. It's not dollars and cents. And so um, I, you have to be, for me, it's about acknowledging the personal part of it. And sometimes people are afraid to acknowledge how personal it is. Um, and, you know, understand and forgive yourself for the personal part of your money decisions. Yeah. Um, Cause we all have it. We all have our stuff. 
That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times it's rooted in something that has sparked an emotional connection to it or hasn't, you know, you haven't figured out what the emotional connection is, but we all, as I say, we all have our stuff. And, um, for some people it's money for other people, it's food for some people it's exercise. Um, you know, it, it, it really is. We, everybody has their stuff. And if we were all perfect, we'd be boring. Right. (laughs) So I, um, I also love to talk about, um, well, the fact that you have uh, two children is always amazing to me. And I'm not, I really, when you, when you bring one of your children into the screen, when we have our money, it's always, for me, it's like, yeah, we're going to have a fun meeting <laughs> because it's such a fun, and I mean this in the best way, but distractions. How can you not smile at those cute faces, right? Um, so (laughs) I just, I love it when you, when you are able to bring them into our meetings, but I'd love to know the challenges that they, the financial challenges and even emotional challenges that having two little ones brings to the picture. Oh, there are so many. Um, so, I mean, I, I love them. And especially my second one, he has been a part of a number of our meetings because I did want to start participating again, but he was still home with me um, a couple of days a week. And so we will be having our meetings and I'm talking about something super serious and they are all laughing on the screen. And I'm like looking back and I see my, you know, one-year-old shoving something all over his face, a yogurt or butter sandwich. Um, so that was referencing and it did, it did happen a number of times. So I appreciate you all for bearing with me and appreciating it for what it is. Um, with the challenges that they bring. I mean, there's obviously the financial concerns like the stuff I referenced, yeah. making sure estate plans and things worry about planning for their college, making sure you can afford daycare. Mm-hmm. It's very, very yeah, expensive. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then there's the adjustments that come that people sometimes don't plan for, which is, okay, we're having another kid or we're having a kid. I say, okay, well, can your current home, mm-hmm. you know, do you foresee your current home being the home that you're going to be raising this, these children mm-hmm. in? Um, I don't realize, I don't think initially, um, especially those little, little infant phases, how much stuff they tend to come with. Um, they'll feel very overcrowded very quickly, or they don't plan that they need a bigger vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, for two car seats, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's more of those littler things that I can see cause more strife or upset when it comes to their finances, especially for, you know, when I'm talking with my clients, because um, the big things you try to think about, um, like, you know, you should get on with a financial planner about a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you can't contribute to it right away, I tell people to establish it, have family and friends contribute for birthdays and holidays and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's planning around, I think, some of those little mm-hmm. things. And it's when someone gets sick and who's going to take off of work to tend to that little one and um, and, and finding that balance uh, when everything at once tends to escalate. You know, in, in an ideal world, you have your time for your children and your time for your business and um, your time for your spouse or loved ones. And it all sort of comes together. But there's always those moments where everything sort of comes to a head. Mm-hmm. And so that's when a lot of deep breathing <laughs> and you put your uh, mask on first. Um, I learned that one for sure where, uh, you know, if, if I'm anxious, my children feel mm-hmm. it. I don't even have to say a word and I could see how they behave differently. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of um, t- 
tending to yourself a little bit, making sure you take the time to take care of yourself and have the conversations you need to have or carve out an extra half hour for me, even if it's five or five 30 in the morning, which feels painful in the moment, I find my days go much better if I can carve that out for myself, because you just don't know what kind of emotional needs your children will have of you that specific day or who's going to come down with an illness or what kind of client is going to drive you nuts. Um, and unfortunately it all happen at once. So that's sort of, um, a little bit of how my life comes together. <laughs> Which I think is utterly amazing because I have difficulty getting myself out of bed in the morning. <laughs> So, yeah, no, it takes like a couple of alarms and sometimes my husband kicking me, but yeah, no, it happened. <laughs> you mentioned earlier on yeah. that you and your husband have been married for 10 years, um, that you met in college and, um, that you, uh, loved his last name. So that was kind of a, a one plus <laughs> relationship. Yeah. Um, where, where do you two, um, feel the most stress around financial challenges just when it's not the financial planner in you, but the two of you thinking like other couples think, you know, I am terribly guilty of not informing him of what the heck is going on. I have a plan in the system, but unless you're in tune with me about it, um, you know, and the way I have a lot of my meetings, I say, you know, I want both, both spouses there, you know, I want everyone informed. And so a lot of the times we work with, both members of the couple. And, um, I don't do that with him. And so he's like, what's this? What's going on over here? And he just doesn't know. I forget to include him in my plan. Um, so I do a monthly report for my clients tracking their net worth, their progress through their goals and how they did each month on an overall budget. They came home one night and he, he's like, what is that? And I explained it to him. He goes, that's really cool. You do that for all your clients. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what about me? He's like, I would love to get that in one month. And I have them set up and I have our, us as a family set up in all of our systems. It's very easy to do. I just didn't include him in the, in the list. Um, so, so yeah, so now I'm doing one for him as well. And he's just like, this is really cool. But that is sort of a habit that happens and it causes, he gets, you know, um, you know, or suddenly I might get stressed because we're off track about something and he doesn't understand enough of yeah. what's going on. Um, so then he's asking me a bajillion questions and then, then I might get more stressed because he's just asking me more questions. Um, so that's happened in our past and we've done better the past couple of years on that conversation, yeah. but now it's more just in, in the loop. Um, so he actually knows what's going on with our personal finances. Like, I don't get quarterly meetings. I don't get monthly reports. I don't get an annual review. What's going on? You, you oh, have two beautiful children. What more do you want, right? I know. I know. I'm like, yeah, but I take care of everything else for you. Come on. It's okay. He's a wonderful, wonderful partner. And that's one thing I also totally love is our partnership is that like, so I could start work early um, and be accessible to my kids at night. He, he does morning drop off at daycare and he takes care of them and I can just sort of get up and go. And like for our conferences, like I don't, you know, I ran into another mom and she's like, Oh, did you leave your husband with a long list? And he's, I, I could just walk out the door and he knows what to do for days on end. Like it's, we do have a nice balance in that other respect, which is, which really does help me be able to, you know, do what I need to for the business. Cause we do get those last minute things happening and things changing. And so it's nice to have a partner who can step in. 
which definitely helps me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's huge. I know with Brent and I, even though we don't have children, it's definitely a partnership. And I think that's probably what makes the most successful marriages is when you, when it's whoever can do what, whenever, right. (laughs) It doesn't have to be, I mean, we all have our different talents, that's for sure. But it's, um, you know, it's whoever's availability is, is there that, that can do it. Um, Brent and I have been married and that's right. 20, no, go ahead. I've been married almost 24 years. And I think, you know, when people say, well, actually be 25 next year. And you know, people have said, so, you know, is there like secret sauce to it? I'm like, um, forgiveness, patience, mm-hmm. and just remember it's a partnership and it, it, it does require work. It's not, it's not, you know, just something that comes very easily. So, so Dana, I want to, I want to be respectful of your time uh, today and I've loved, I feel like I could explore so many little nuggets in the beginning of the conversation. Um, but I do know that you have some little ones that want your time and so, and probably some clients as well. So I, um, I just have a few final questions that I always love to ask people. One of them is what is your definition of success? Oh, that's a really good question. Honestly, my definition of success, especially as I've become a mom, is less about anything um, more tangible or specific and more just about, um, I don't know how to pinpoint it. For me, I feel successful <laughs> in a day. And I remember being a new mom and saying, like, well, was today a successful day? Did I get everything done I needed to? And you sort of feel like you're not quite doing enough when you're keeping this little person alive. And um, But that is a full-time job those early months. And so, um, you know, I definitely question that a lot. But at this point, my idea of success is really knowing that I'm taking care of myself, taking care of my businesses, taking care of my family um, to the best that is reasonable for myself for a given yeah. day and what that means each day changes. Yeah. And, but just knowing that I have my big picture priorities in mm-hmm. place, which is serving my loved ones and my mm-hmm. businesses that, um, and knowing that I'm working towards that and that's been my focus for the day, I, you know, I can say that that's been a successful day. And, I think, and so that looks different. Right. But I think that's the point, right? Is that success on any given day can be, can be, can change. The big picture might not, but if we narrow on and on something too, too much, then we're setting ourselves up for failure because at some point in time, it's just not going to be a priority. There's going to be something that's more important. And then the the other more serious question that I like to ask um, is I I love to to talk to people about, again, kind of going back to that vineyard relationship. Um, If we don't let the soil rest sometimes in a vineyard, um, then the vines just suck the soil dry and there's no nutrients in it. So, you know, we, we have to remind, we have to let the, the, um, the farm, I say rest sometimes. So Dana, what do you do to feed your soul and allow yourself to rest and and rejuvenate? Um, it looks different depending on what I need. Um, sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's exercise. Um, we did take sort of the first full vacation as a family this past summer with um, lots of aunts and uncles mm. and cousins and grandparents, which um, wasn't what I would necessarily call restful. Not that I would call any vacation with a four and a one year old restful, but it was, I think, as much as it could have been because they had their big cousins mm-hmm. to play with and lots of aunts and uncles to look out for them. Um, so that definitely served me. But honestly, um, it's for me, 
the serving me things is the meditation, the exercise, the serving my marriage things is a quiet night, whether it's in or out. Um, it's a lot more in lately with the two mm-hmm. young ones, but they go to bed early. And we do at home date nights, nice. um, cook a fun meal, order in a fun meal and just have those, you know, quiet moments mm-hmm. to connect and, and bond. And then sometimes with the family, it's, um, just, you know, the days where you don't really do much, where you just don't worry about the to-do list and you stay at home and you just find you let the house become a completely tip turned upside down. Um, and I think those are really amazing, beautiful moments. So it depends on what I'm trying to serve, but, um, I really try to find a little bit of any of that any given week. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you have it, um, broken down in different ways to thinking, you know what, sometimes I need to serve my marriage. Sometimes I need to serve myself in order to serve my marriage and my children. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And, I mean, unfortunately, like the natural state of things is sort of entropy, like like the natural state of most things in science is that they will fall apart if, if there isn't something actively done to sort of counteract that force. So I try to keep that in mind and making sure I'm nourishing all aspects of things that are important. And I think we all have a little lesson that we can take from there from, for sure. Um, and then the final question that I love to ask, which is more the fun question. So, um, you mentioned to us earlier that you were drinking a Bogle blend red. Um, is there anything that, um, given the opportunity to just pick something to, uh, to do either pair with it, people or food, what would you, um, what would you say your favorite pairing is? I have to go back to my Italian roots there. Um, I might, I might lean towards like a nice, like a parpadel pasta oh. with a nice ragu, um, like a bolognese sauce, something mm. like that, uh, with a nice, a nice bread that tends to be just super homey feeling. Um, really, you know, gets me grounded. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm taking care of myself in well, my own I need way. to come to Dana's house. We <laughs> <laughs> serving bolognese on Christmas Day. You're welcome to come up. <laughs> it's a little cold. How about in the summer? <laughs> Fair. So, thank you so much for being a guest on our show, for sharing what it's like to be a mom, what it's like to be a financial planner, what it's like to be a sister, and what it's like to be a business owner. Your vineyard is really amazing and I'm glad to be one of those little vines that's in your vineyard um, and and get, get the chance to really interact with you more often than many other people do. So I really appreciate you being on the show today. I so thank you. You've been amazing. For, for those of you who don't know Amy terribly well, she's amazing. Continue to listen. Continue to support her. Um, and she's been an incredible support and sort of confidant and go-to guru on most things. And so um, it, it's been, I, I love our study group and I love the people in it. And you're an amazing well, Thank part of you. That. You make my heart warm. You feed my soul. How's that? <laughs> and that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook. We will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening.